Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. I am your host, Jared Weich. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. This week, Nintendo don't. Oh wow. Uh, episode 219, the bulk of the show will be covering the Nintendo Direct that happened this week. Uh, the first Direct in over 500 days, Dom. Well, at least normal Direct. We've had many Directs and game-focused ones, but as a wild. Imagine if we were sitting here saying, like, it's been 500 days since the last PlayStation or Xbox event. That would be wild. Uh, but it is how it is, and uh, we have 15 minutes. We're not going over every announcement. We're going to be going to get the choice selects of the event overall, the Nintendo Direct. But that's not what we're starting with. We're starting with the quickie news block, Dom. First up, we're talking about Stadia. Of course, there's always a new Stadia tidbit to go over. Most recently, we had talked about the developers on the internal studios losing their jobs because they shuttered them. We have some more information now. Thanks to an article written by a couple of people over at Kotaku, it was revealed via their sources, who were developers inside the situation at Stadia, that Stadia's VP and general manager praised the devs, and this is Phil Harrison, by the way, praised the devs via email the week before the internal studios were shuttered. And at the same time, it was stated that Microsoft purchasing Bethesda was a part of Google's decision to close the studios. So not the entire reason, but it did play a factor in them wanting to shutter those internal studios. And I want to tackle this piecemeal first up. It's not uncommon, right, Dom, for these bosses who kind of know what's about to be going down to praise their employees a week before uh, in a very harsh way without kind of being more human about these things. Some people are wondering, like, did Phil Harrison actually know? And my opinion is uh, being the vice president and general manager of Stadia, I'm pretty sure he knew a week <laughs> before. Uh, yeah. But what do you think about him emailing the developers and kind of giving them a pat on the back, even though he likely knew that their jobs weren't long for this world? Yeah, I guess I, I, you could have two perspectives on it, and I think both are valid of like, well, that seems pretty cruel because I'm with you. He knew. Of course he knew. He's probably yeah. known for um, months that it was a possibility, um, right? And then certainly within a week, he knew it was, well, you know, a probability at some point at least, right? Um, so you could, with that knowledge, you could say it seems kind of cruel. Um, or you could say it was, um, you know, at least it was something nice and to acknowledge their work. But I think I'm landing more on the side of that's kind of cruel because if you really wanted to be nice, you'd find something else for them. I don't know how you do that exactly, but I don't know. It, it just sucks, man. Like, they didn't... It, the whole thing was kind of mismanaged, I think, right? Like, um, and to your point, we kind of get got to get to the point that like Phil Harrison has failed upwards. Like, he has been a part of failure everywhere he's went. He was part of the terrible Xbox One mismanagement. He's part of Google now. Like, he is the epitome of privilege. <laughs> There's no reason he should have been leading Stadia, and it shows now that he kind of he just doesn't doesn't know what he's doing from a top-down level and i'm not tr trying to be harsh but him emailing the devs a week before is harsh enough so maybe he just needs a bit of his own medicine but if phil harrison gets another leadership role in the games industry i am not going to be sure about it at all the moment we hear he's attached to something i'm going to be waiting on bated breath just because we've seen now that he like i said failure follows him and it's a bummer that these developers lost their job and you know, people can say like, well, it's a business thing. It's like, no, it's just a, like a, 
I don't know. It's a shitty thing to do. Like I would rather have my boss not email me a week before than to do that. And then I get fired the next week. It's just a really shitty thing. It, um, I don't know. It just, cause you know, if you go to business school, you learn that there's different leadership styles, right? And I've always been a fan of the leadership style where you are a human and you have interpersonal relationships in which you don't necessarily need your employees to be your friend, but you also don't need to be a robot, right? That's that's kind of emotionless in that type of way. And I've one of the opinion that those kind of end up with the worst working situations and environments. And I'm not saying that Phil Harrison is necessarily a bad guy, but like I said, the track record speaks for itself. So it's kind of a bummer. The other thing I want to talk about though, Dom, is this idea of, and we're not saying this played the major role in it, but the idea of Microsoft purchasing Bethesda and that being Google's part of Google's decision to shutter the studios, what do you think the angle was in terms of it playing a factor? You think it's that they saw that and they're like, okay, in order for us to compete at this level, we would have to make an acquisition like that and we can't really do that or we don't want, not that Google can't do it, we don't want to do that, right? Or is it from the perspective of if we're just going to see all these major publishers purchasing all these third parties, what deals are we going to have for our own exclusive platform, right? Are we running out of people to partner with? What do you think the angle was in terms of it playing some factor, whether minority or majority in their decision? Yeah, I think it's 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 that competition thing of like, as the, you know, they notice like the market consolidate like that, that like, oof, this was already a huge uphill battle for us, right? To enter into an existing market that's enormous and try to compete, right? It was already going to be incredibly difficult. And with the technology that they chose to do and how poorly they chose to implement it as cool as it was, like it was going to be tough for them. So Bethesda, probably, you know, one of the bigger, I don't know, they had to be like top four largest publishers that existed independently getting, you know, consolidating with Microsoft. has got to be a, it's like, a maybe we can't compete on that level. Maybe we need to just focus on being a platform instead of a, an exclusive content kind of a, uh, a company but it's it may be like maybe they had a bid in too for bethesda right um I or maybe it was a partner right that they were looking towards working along with stadia now that they're no longer mm-hmm. independent it's like well that's a partner we lost out on right and that's what if you really want to get tinfoil hat it's like well did they become enlightened to the fact that that means that bethesda games are not going to be on stadia going exactly forward, which, yeah which is like is that what led you know just a chunk of the decision but could have been a part of it and then of course i don't care about stadia anymore but that's that's where i'm going to jump off of that is like what does that mean that bethesda games aren't going to be on playstation anymore right exactly (laughs) and it also brings up the point of so playstation's already partnered with microsoft with the azure servers for streaming right we assume that nintendo could possibly partner with microsoft too because They've been playing really close together. They announced a new collaboration uh, last week, I think, doing with some aspect of Nintendo. But then that leaves Stadia with, like, who are we going to partner with then? Like, PlayStation is already partnering with Xbox. Nintendo might partner with them. Who is their technology going to be for at the end of the day? And to your point, yeah, maybe they knew Bethesda's games aren't coming to Stadia, so then what's the point there? Because you make jokes about Fallout 76, but the moment Starfield or Elder Scrolls comes out, those are going to move units wherever they launch, right? If it's on PlayStation, if it's on Xbox, if it's on Stadia, they're major titles. And yeah, who knows if they they, they got word of the deal. And it's like, well, do we want to... And maybe they don't know, Dom, but maybe they don't want to take the bet, right? Maybe they're like, right, yeah. we don't know if they're going to be able to come out on our platform 
And maybe that was part of their plans moving forward of like, okay, Bethesda is going to be a big branch of the third party support we get. And to what people have noted too, Cyberpunk played best on Stadia. And yeah. obviously that game was a trash fire in terms of its launch, but even that didn't make news or waves. <laughs> you know what I mean? No one was talking about, oh, it runs, you know, the game runs poorly everywhere. Just play it on Stadia. You don't even need a powerful PC. And that didn't move the needle in any meaningful way. So, And that was that was the one thing that I kept bringing up, like in the lead up to Stadia of like, that's the biggest advantage they have, right? Is like next gen games without a next gen console, right? You don't need to shell out 500 bucks, just the 60 that you would have had to spend on the game anyway right that was their biggest selling point and it should have been highlighted especially with cyberpunk because there basically wasn't a last gen version yeah they were shit right so that it just they just missed so much and there was so much potential there and like i assume so much money and then their studio stuff just blows my mind too like to me like there had to have been you know a lot of like unmet promises um like they attracted a lot of talent like, like jade, jade raymond, raymond was a leading a studio <laughs> right so how did how did someone convince her to come aboard and then not that long after like actually this is all shit we're canceling it and like to me like some promises were broken along the way some things were mismanaged like this just um phil harrison dude I, i'm sorry but like yeah i don't I don't want to be a part of his next team <laughs> <laughs> well and the interesting thing too is Something we hadn't talked about is what if the talent at the top were the ones that wanted to leave? And because of that, maybe they were like, okay, instead of trying to bring in new talent to leave this stuff, let's just shut her entirely. Like what if Jade Raymond saw the, the shit show behind the scenes and maybe got offered a better job? Maybe we see her pop up for Sony. Maybe we see her pop up for Microsoft, an mm -hmm. internal studio. Maybe she does something else entirely, but maybe she was like, yeah, I'm over this. Like this isn't going to work out the way you think it is. And, it could have just been a number of things, right? The Bethesda acquisition, Jade Raymond wanting to leave, uh, like just all of these things culminating in whatever the hell ended up with Stadia. And I, I'm assuming this won't be the last we hear of Stadia in some capacity. Probably will be negative the next time we hear about it. Um, but this is just another notch in the don't trust Stadia's products out of the gate, right? We joked about this when Stadia was announced of like, they have a track record of not really leaning into things if they see failure and just bolting at first glance. This adds on to it, right? This is going to be the... Yes, what Stadia was another one of those examples. And when you're asking people to not only subscribe to your service, but then buy the games that are only playable on your service, like you can't go and buy Cyberpunk on Stadia. And then if Stadia shutters, you can just load it up on Steam. That's not how that works. So then that's part of the investment in the platform, right? Like why would I want Cyberpunk even though it plays best if I'm not going to have access to that a year from now? You know what I mean? When the DLC comes out or whatever. There's a lot of things going negative for Stadia. Let's get to some positive news, at least for me. We had a new update for Marvel's Avengers, a brand new war table, Dom. It's been a little quiet. We had the Kate Bishop DLC, wondering where we were going to get this new Hawkeye DLC for Clint Barton, and it popped up. So it's going to be new story DLC. It's called Hawkeye Future Imperfect. It's featuring the release of Clint Barton's Hawkeye and the villainous Maestro, for those who are unfamiliar with the comics. This is essentially, if you've heard of Old Man Logan or Old Man Hawkeye, in the future, villains team together to kill all the superheroes. They let some of them live and some of them escape. And then Hulk kind of kills everybody almost. And he's the combination of uh, Bruce Banner's intelligence with the Hulk's power. And he names himself Maestro. So he's kind of like a criminal warlord. Like, just imagine how dangerous that is. He's the primary bad guy in this. It looks pretty cool. Uh, they showed off Hawkeye's abilities, which seems similar to Kate Bishop, but differentiates himself enough to make him unique. 
Uh, he's going to have a companion dog, so you can never go wrong with that in a video game. It's going to be releasing on March 18th. And the cool thing is it's alongside the next-gen versions of the game. Now, I'm actually quite surprised, Dom, that these next-gen versions are coming mm -hmm. as soon as they are. Because with all the delays, people forget this Hawkeye DLC was supposed to come out last November. And it seems like the things that got delayed and pushed were the characters. And I wonder if the reason the characters got pushed is because they felt, let's work, let's focus on this next-gen version, get the game in a place where it runs perfectly or at least close to that on next gen consoles and then start doing the dlc because if you focus too much on the dlc then how are you going to drive consumers to the next gen version that is going to be the lifespan of the game moving forward right so it's pretty cool i'm excited you know how much i love this game i want a reason to get back in even if it's just to check out hawkeye for a day and they don't add any meaningful end game stuff yet it still gives me a reason to turn on the game and check it out which i'm appreciative of and if you make hulk the villain as somebody who hulk's my favorite superhero i'm gonna at least want to check out the story i'm curious though if you remember dom the last time we talked about this their dlcs are in like three story part uh arcs right so the kate bishop one was the first one the clint barton one is the second one we don't know what the third arc is, and it seems like everyone comes with a new character. So that's intriguing to me. Like, I don't know what the third <clears> one's going to be. And then we also don't know if this new DLC, if the Maestro skin for Hulk becomes an unlockable uh, thing for you after you maybe beat the campaign or something, right? Because Hulk's already in the game. So that'd be pretty cool, too. Um, obviously, you're not a big Marvel's Avengers guy, but do you have any questions for me regarding this of like maybe how it makes me feel or anything? I don't think so, no. But I was, I was with you. Like, that's a, that's pretty cool that the next gen versions are coming out when they are. I didn't expect that at all. I was, thought it was going to be like a, at best summer, likely fall kind of a thing. Um, gotten too cynical lately. So that that's that was pretty cool to hear. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm starting to get, and maybe I'm, maybe you can correct me, but like I'm starting to get a vibe that like, it's however slowly this game is starting to like, um. I don't know, build some, some trust and some like goodwill yeah. and, and people are enjoying it and it's, it's doing the right things. Um, obviously yeah, like they said, it didn't make the money they wanted it to at launch or, or whatever, but, um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is the Avengers. So like, this is not something they're not going to Google it. Right. Um, and abandon it. <laughs> um, it's not Anthem, but, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of even though this is like way outside my wheelhouse, it's it's cool to see that kind of a story, and hopefully, like it continues and really starts to build momentum. Because I think so far the, they they haven't been doing a few good things, but like that like big momentum is still hasn't started to build yet. But I think they can do that. I think the big pop is going to be whatever the Wakanda expansion is, right? You add Black Panther mm -hmm. to the game. You add Wakanda as a new playable area. You add a raid, like an end game event, right? And you add all this content people need and want. I think that'll be the next pop. There was this weird thing. I don't know if you remember for the last war table where apparently the tease for Black Panther and Wakanda was going to be in that war table. And unfortunately, Chadwick Boseman had passed earlier that week. So out of respect for him, they kind of like removed stuff because even in the war table, it stated some things had been removed, uh, you know, beforehand, yada, yada, yada. So I'm still hoping for that big push. My worry is that this come this DLC comes out and then the game goes dark and it's just right. over with. And we'll know what the plans are moving forward if we get a roadmap or teases at the next DLC before or by March 18th, right? 
Uh, we'll see what happens there. But excited. Remember, Spider-Man was supposed to already be out by now for PlayStation exclusively, uh, which is hilarious. Um, it's so funny to look back on that now. Next up, Xbox backwards compatible FPS boost. This is via Xbox Newswire. Quote, as we detailed in October with the increased CPU, GPU, and memory from our new consoles, all of your existing games look and play better. With certain titles, we can make the experience even better, all with no work required by the developer and no update needed by the gamer. To that end, the backward compatible team has developed FPS Boost, which employs a variety of new methods for nearly doubling and in a few instances quadrupling the original frame rate on select titles. Now, I didn't include this in the read-up, but basically they're going to developers and asking, hey, can we do this? If the developers and publishers are like, cool, turn it on, they'll turn it on. So they can turn it on automatically for games, but they're waiting to ask the publishers and developers if they want it before they actually just go through with it, which is cool because maybe some developers have plans for it. Maybe it doesn't, it wouldn't work as well. Like I'm just glad that they're approaching them that way to start off the, the project. Uh, four games were uh, updated with FPS boost. We had far cry Four, new super lucky's tale, which went up to 120 frames per second. Uh, Sniper elite Four. UFC 4, which went up to 60 frames a second, and Watch Dogs 2. The titles that didn't have FPS attached to them, they just didn't mention them in the story. So I don't know if they're all just 60, but the ones they actually mentioned were New Supper Lucky's Tale and UFC 4. This is dope. I know people were like, this is a weird batch of games. Um, but just like backwards compatibility when it first launched, we're going to see weird batches of games grouped up that they just get feedback from the publishers, right? It's like, yeah, go ahead with this one, maybe not this one. So they just group them all together for a new announcement. And it's awesome that we're going to have something to look forward to with the backwards compatible updates that aren't the games being backwards compatible because we had that for last gen, right? Every couple months, here's a batch of new games you can play via backwards compatibility. And now we have every few months, here's a batch of the FPS boosted games. Really cool. And it's an easy win because like they said, the developers don't have to put any work into it. The gamers, us, don't have to update our game. Uh, and we just win because of it. And so do developers. So it's really cool. Uh, did you see this and what do you think about it overall as a new initiative moving forward? This is like one of the coolest things that's come out of this newest generation. And I, I don't understand how how they can do that, right? Because I'm thinking of, you know, Bloodborne has been a hot topic lately about like, well, give us a PS5 patch, right? Um, because like a lot of games just naturally their frame rates are, you know, increased or stabilized when we move yeah. to the new consoles, right? Um, if they were variable before, then they'll just the hardware will just allow them to always be at top performance. But with something like Bloodborne, the frame rate like is capped in the game's code at 30 FPS, right? Like it won't go high; it goes lower when it can't. <laughs> uh, when it you know at certain points when there's a lot going on, of course. But it there like without changing the game's code, i.e., like a, a patch, an update from the developer. How how can Microsoft get around? that like that's incredible to me i want to know how it's so cool it, yeah it is incredible and i think that's where people maybe got confused with this announcement a little bit because you know going into next gen it's like okay the ps5 and xbox series x are going to automatically boost these backwards compatible games and yeah they do get uh, boosted a lot in terms of stabilizing frame rates some of them get boosted slightly but then a lot of it is visual Low fidelity times. right uh with this, it's like they're going in and actually working towards doubling those frame rates and quadrupling. Like, new Super Lucky's Tale being played at 120 FPS, I kind of want to load that up just to see what that looks like with my my 
refresh rate on my monitor and everything, mm-hmm. uh, just because I'm curious. Uh, and I'm excited to see what the new batches moving forward are because when it gets closer to the games that are newer, in air quotes, I want to see exactly how those feel and move. Um, next up, let's get to these Silent Hill rumors. These popped up the morning of us recording this, which is February 18th. And I call this a story in three acts. <laughs> so, number one, Bloober Team, developers of The Medium, Blair Witch, Layers of Fear, CEO Peter Babieno said in a GamesIndustry.biz interview that the team has been working on another horror IP with a very famous gaming publisher, in quotes, for over a year. So this interview came out this morning, right? GamesIndustry.biz interviewed the Bloober Team CEO, and he stated this. Then, a few hours later, Video Games Chronicle, who has a pretty good track record with rumors and leaks and information, they're like, hey, now that this interview's out there, let's tell you guys a little bit about what we know regarding this horror IP that uh, Bloober Team's working on with this uh, very famous gaming publisher. So Video Games Chronicle, this is part two, breaks the insider information that Konami has outsourced a Silent Hill project It's going to be revealed in summer 2021, but they state that the project has been outsourced to a very, in quotes, a prominent Japanese developer. So that has has you sitting here thinking, well, Bloober team's working on a horror IP from a very famous publisher, but then Konami's outsourcing a Silent Hill game, but it's to a Japanese developer. If you didn't know, the Bloober team isn't Japanese. Uh, so that's where this kind of goes head to head of like when the original story came out, people are like horror IP, Silent Hill, famous gaming publisher, Konami, right? It works. It fits perfectly. Then you get the information from VGC and it's like, well, they're not a Japanese developer, but why would Video Games Chronicle bring this up at this time? It seems weird that they're like kind of counteracting the actual interview, right? Number three. Two franchise reboots, according to VGC, are in the works, which is something that industry insiders have suggested could be Konami's intention. So, Bloober Team, now this leads to this next thing of like, so Bloober Team could be working on Silent Hill, and then that Japanese developer could be working on one, because according to reports, Konami has two different reboots planned, which is interesting. So I guess I want to start there. uh, Real quick, what do you think about the possibility that we're getting two Silent Hill reboots Possibly by different studios, right? A Japanese studio and Bloober team. Possibly different genres. Possibly different styles. 2D, 3D, who knows. How do you feel about this in terms of them going back to back with these reboots maybe close together in terms of release? Hell yeah. That that sounds great. Um, Bloober team especially. Like, they've been making horror games. And, you know, they're good at it. Um... I've never played a Silent Hill game, so I might, I'm I'd be interested absolutely. As far as like two, like in close proximity, that's very interesting. Um, I could. It, it sounds like silly. Like, why would you do that? But if they're like 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 you uh, speculated, you know, different styles. Maybe one is a little more. I don't know. Maybe one's like a multiplayer kind of a thing, um, and then one's more typical survival horror. I don't or yeah, they they could go a lot of different directions. You know, one could be a pachinko machine. I probably not, but um, point being, like, it could they? Yeah, these could be very different things. Um, but I'm down for it. Um, this is because this is a franchise that I love horror games, but this is a franchise I've never touched because it's just there's not been anything, um, you know, recent that 
I, I guess like I'm sure like some of the original games people would tell me are still good, but if they're old enough, I'm like, does it really hold up though? Like really, you know? So I'm I'm down for Silent Hill. It's working right now with Resident Evil, right? We have the first person with RE7 and RE8, and then we have the third person of the ah. remakes, right? Yes, good So point. that could totally be the case, too. Maybe Bloober Team's working on the first person, Silent Hill, and maybe this Japanese developer's working on the third person one. I was thinking about this. I'm like, hey, prominent Japanese developer who has ties to horror games, who we don't know what their next project is, Tango Gameworks from Bethesda would be real interesting, Right. They have the, the the experience with Evil Within. Obviously, Shinji Mikami worked on the Resident Evil series. He's there at Tango Gameworks. The tough thing is Silent Hill is usually associated with PlayStation. Tango Gameworks is obviously now owned by Xbox. So I wonder if maybe, who's to say maybe Xbox partnered with Konami and brings a Silent Hill exclusively. Like, imagine if the two different versions are console exclusive. Like, imagine if the Bloober one, Bloober team, even though they're more associated with Xbox, but hear me out on this, maybe what if one is uh, exclusive to Xbox and one is exclusive to PlayStation? That'd be pretty wild, too. And knowing Konami yeah. and their focus on money, if the you know the check was had enough zeros on the end of it, I don't think they'd be opposed to that. You're right. There could be any combination, combination of that, too. That's a good point. Um, we'll throw one more thing at you, though. What if... Um... Not Tango, but but what what could From Software do with Silent Hill? Just yeah, floating it. The thing is, they're so fo- Silent Hill's so focused on survival horror and psychological horror that I don't know if that'd be something. My if they were to work with Konami, my money would be on Castlevania over Silent Hill, because I think they can nail Castlevania, especially with the way you know the, their the. The level design of the Castlevania games, right, where things get twisted, you come back, it's Metroidvania, obviously, uh, where you get items that open up stuff later, and that's kind of, you know, From's whole shtick. I would lean more for them for a Castlevania game than Silent Hill. The other thing we're not considering, somebody who was working on Silent Hill, Kojima Productions. How mm-hmm. wild would that be if they're mm-hmm. the ones working on the Silent Hill game? You never know, we'll see. But there was something I left out that was also in that VGC report that I thought you'd get a nice little chuckle out of, Dom. In the same VGC article, they stated, according to our sources, Konami pitched Silent Hill to Supermassive at some point, but it didn't work out. Hmm. Obviously, for those who don't know, Supermassive developers Until Dawn, The Man of Medan, and Little Hope, which uh, Dom talked about on last week's podcast. How do you feel about that in a universe where Supermassive made Silent Hill? Because I think that could have worked out. Yeah, absolutely. It could have. And I, yeah, it makes you wonder, like, is that just kind of a, a scheduling thing where it's just the timing just wasn't quite right? And Konami was like, well, we want to do this now. We're not going to wait for you to finish up your, you know, your um, Dark Pictures anthology or whatever. So they, you know, then went to, to Bloober or whoever else, <laughs> um, Tango from Software, whatever we want. Um but yeah, that that obviously would have worked really well too, and I can see where, when you're thinking about, you know, developers that have made some of the better horror games in the past, you know, five years or more, right? Like, uh, Supermassive is definitely on that list, right? So I could, I could. That's interesting. Like, what could have been? And I wonder if the plan was because obviously Sony published Until Dawn. I wonder if Konami, Sony, and them were working together on a possible Silent Hill project, and then. Supermassive made that change, right? They're like, we're going independent. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to make smaller projects. And PlayStation and Konami are like, but we have this check for you to make a Silent Hill game if you want. And maybe they're just right. like, no, we just want to do our own thing. 
Imagine turning down Silent Hill. Take some big, big balls to do that. Uh, and I don't think they lacked confidence because they knew they knew how to make horror games with Until Dawn. And maybe they just felt like, no, we want to work our own thing. It's completely valid, especially from a creative perspective. I totally get that. But it is a nice little tidbit of like in an alternate universe, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what exactly. does that supermassive Silent Hill game look like? Because you know damn well it's going to pop at an E3, right? PlayStation reveals that an E3 Silent Hill mm-hmm. by Supermassive. Oh, boy. Let's get into this Nintendo Direct. This happened on February. If you didn't know, the first major Nintendo Direct since September 2019, over 500 days, took place this week. So let's go over the five most important headlines following the 50-minute presentation. And for those who want a little bit of clarification on that, we've had Directs in 2020, but there were the mini Directs or game-specific Directs. They weren't a normal Nintendo Direct. Um, So it's pretty nice to see this. I'm going to start off with some honorable mentions that didn't make the top headlines, Dom. First up, we got Star Wars Hunters, which we literally know nothing about except for it being a, a seemingly a Switch exclusive multiplayer shooter, seemingly based on bound, the old Bounty Hunters games, but we've got no gameplay at all. The only thing we know is the title and that it's being developed partially by Zynga Games, which has people a little bit worried. Those who don't know, Zynga is a very prominent mobile game developer. Uh, they're one of like four developers listed on it. So who knows to what capacity they're playing, uh, in terms of developing this game. I don't, do you have anything to say about hunters? We didn't really see anything. I don't know, man. Like I just can picture what, what I fear it's going to be, you know, like a, like a, like a free to play, like you got to buy shit all over the place and it's, it's. Also going to be on mobile, you know, I just... Yeah, coming to Switch and mobile, right? Yeah. Uh, the logo's dope. I'll give it pr- props on that. The logo is very clean. Uh, but yeah, it's coming out 2021 and we got no information. To me, that means one of two things. One, this game is coming in super hot, super hot. Or two, with Lucasfilm now being in control of... Lucasfilm Games being in control of the game's properties. I wonder if we don't see some type of event that Marvel or Disney does where they showcase the Star Wars and Marvel games. Because they're at the point now where they could have a little like 20-minute, 15-minute presentation on their own aside from putting it in other people's shows. And maybe they're like, we'll give you guys the announcement, Nintendo, but we want to show off the first look at the game, right? Mm-hmm. Who knows? We could be going that direction with everyone having their own individual events this year. I wouldn't be surprised to see Disney pop up right and be like hey here's our stuff uh next up world's end club this is from the Rampa developers really weird it starts off with like okay all these kids are trapped in an underwater uh state fair and they have to survive and then five seconds later they're like well they escaped they went up to the surface everyone in japan has disappeared so now you have to travel across japan to figure out what happened it was really funny they start off with this like very ominous Oh my God, they have to like saw style. They have to live. They have to try to survive. And it's like, no, they got out. Okay, what's happening upstairs? Um, I just thought I'd mention it because it looked very unique. And out of the smaller titles, it's the one that caught my eye personally. Uh, but let's get into these headlines, Dom. First up, let's talk about these indie ports. Bunch of indie games. And there's one game at the end that isn't really any. I guess most of these, half of these games are indie games, but you know, just call it ports. First up, we got Fall Guys coming summer 2021. I made a joke that this was the desync edition because Nintendo's online is so bad. I could just imagine what Fall Guys on the Nintendo online oh, is going to look like. I didn't but think of that. Yeah. Most importantly for me, I was like, okay, if it's coming to Nintendo summer 2021, 
there's no way it's not also coming to Xbox, right? This morning, it was announced it's coming to Xbox Summer 2021, okay. which is dope. So it seems like they're both getting it the moment it's uh, released from PlayStation's exclusivity, which is super dope. It's something me and my friends have been wanting to get our hands on. And Fall Guys has kind of lost popularity a bit, and it seems like it's one of those times when the exclusivity hurt it. Like, if it could have timed where it came out on PlayStation, and then maybe a month or two later it came out on Nintendo, and then a month later it came out on Xbox, whereas now it's like... It's on PC and PlayStation, and no one's talking about it. And it'll get the resurgence when it comes to Nintendo and Xbox, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, they, I think they kind of missed out on hitting a great cadence there. Outer Wilds, finally coming, summer 2021. Excellent Game of the Year candidate. Uh, definitely check that out if you're interested in time loops and sci-fi mysteries. Next up, Stubbs the Zombie, March 16th, a game that didn't ver- age very well, but it has me intrigued in maybe reboot that franchise. Give it to a smaller team, have them work on a small project, and I'd love to see what Stubbs the Zombie looks like in 2021 as like a $20 indie AA title. I think it's cool. The idea of playing as a zombie is, you know, we have zombie fatigue at this point, but we don't really play as zombies in games too often, so I think it'd be dope. Next up, definitely not an indie title, Apex Legends uh, is coming March 9th, once again, the desync edition, because... I could not imagine playing a fast-paced battle royale on the Nintendo Switch and the graphics on it. Boy, howdy, do they look rough. Uh, I'll just say that much. And there was many other ports mentioned, but those are the ones I wanted to cover specifically. Number two, one of my highlights of the show, Dom, Project Triangle Strategy. Awful name once again. This is the second entry in the HD 2D series, which is the Octopath Traveler series. It's set for 2022. Now, the cool thing here is it's a tactical RPG combat system similar to Final Fantasy Tactics. So it's not taking the turn base that Octopath Traveler had, but going for something different. And if you've been around the gaming landscape, people love Final Fantasy Tactics. They've wanted it to be remade or redone or sequelized in some form or fashion. And it looks like this might be the closest thing we get to it. Um, I personally didn't click with Octopath Traveler too much. I thought it was kind of lackluster. Art, amazing, top-notch, industry-leading. Gameplay and narrative, not that great, so I'm excited to see what this holds. How did you feel about Project Triangle Strategy outside of its ridiculous at Amy convention? Yeah, which was right on brand, of course. But yeah, no, it looks really cool uh, visually. I was with you. I They had a demo for Octopath, um, like, a, like a hefty demo, so I, I tried it. Um, but also, like, I appreciated what it looked like, but then, you know, after I think like two hours or something, it was kind of like, Wow, this is um this is one of those JRPGs that I struggle to get into, right? Yeah. Um but it's cool that I assume like they got right back to work, you know, making this sequel, right? So it's pretty cool and it's also pretty cool that they're changing up the combat style to you know, kind of do the the tactic type thing. So I think I think a, like a lot of people are going to be really into this. This is a good. This was a smart move. Pivot. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think. It's and to your cool. point, it had a demo come out after the the, the Nintendo Direct. I haven't downloaded it yet, oh. but I'm interested to check it out. Okay. Um, and uh, we both enjoy uh, Fire Emblem, and it being closer to Fire Emblem in terms of its combat has me more excited. Um, so I'm interested to see how it plays out. Once again, art is gorgeous. Like it's one of the most beautiful games. Yeah. And I like this uh, HD 2D series naming convention. I like that they're better at naming the series than they are at the games in the series. 
And this one is different than Project Octopath Traveler where they ditched the project and then they just left it as Octopath Traveler. There's no way this game is called just Triangle Strategy, right? No way. There's weirder names for games, Let's right? make a bet on this podcast right now. Uh, let's see. Okay, so here's the thing. This game has, it's all about decision making, right? And weighing the scales of justice or whatever the hell. So I'm probably more than likely going to buy this game and play it. I don't know if you are or not, okay? But we'll do this. If, if it stays the name Triangle Strategy, you get to make my first decision for me. I'll message you and be like, this is the decision I need to make. I'll give you context if you don't decide to play it yourself. And you make the decision for me. So like if, an in-game decision, like should I kill this person or this person? Yeah, exactly. Like Everybody. one of those crossroads decisions they showed off in the trailer. Hmm. Now, if I win and it's not triangle strategy, if you are playing the game and have it, I do the same to you. And if not, I get to make a decision whatever game you're playing at the time in some capacity. We'll figure okay. it out at that point. Yeah. And that'll be the bet. Because I could in no world do I see this being called triangle strategy, but hey, I didn't think Octopath Traveler was gonna be called Octopath Traveler. We, we My argument there's the like Octopath. Octopath Traveler sounds all right as a game. Like, I get that. It's like, there's eight people, Octopath Traveler. That's not, I don't know, Trial Strategy is like, really? But then they have, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> I'm so flustered by it, we'll end up seeing. Uh, next up, my second highlight of the, of the Direct for me was Mario Golf Super Rush. Mm-hmm. Going into this, everyone's like, just give us Mario Golf. But come on, come on, come on. Gave us Mario Tennis. Are we getting Super Strikers? Are we getting Mario Golf? We got Mario Golf. It's called Mario Golf Super Rush. Coming out June 25th, up to four players. There's a new speed golf mode, which means that, say, Dom, you and I were playing. We both line up. We tee off at the same time, and then we rush to our ball and strike it as many times as we need to to get it into the hole. So instead of taking turns back and forth, you're just trying to get there. There's power-ups to make you run faster. It seems like a really fun, chaotic time. Once again, Nintendo's online. I don't know how that's going to work in terms of desync online. But locally, it seems like it'll be a blast. There's going to be a story mode where you create your own me and work up and, and upgrade your own me character. Before I get to if this did anything for you, Dom, what I want to say real quick is as excited as I am for this game being announced, I am worried because of all of the things that were wrong with Mario Tennis Aces. Do you remember that game when it came out? People were excited. Jordan former host of the show was excited then you found out there was weird difficulty spikes there was weird things with the enemy ai they did this weird stuff with the dlc where the care you had to go to a certain play at a certain time to get the character and if you didn't then you'd i don't know it was just all over the place and as excited as people were it ended up being kind of a letdown for people and i'm worried that this could be the same case uh i don't know maybe i'm being pessimistic in, on that end but for you, what did this do for you in terms of an announcement? And am I right for feeling a little bit trepidatious with this game announcement? Yeah, you probably are. I mean, when you look at like not just uh, Mario Tennis, but like outside of the core Mario games, I mean, as of late, you think of Odyssey and I guess the core Zelda games too, they've done well with. But like uh, the tennis game, Super Mario Party kind of oh, yeah, had true. like. It was it was fine, but it was really bare. You know, it had some things that were like it's it's like worse than the last game. Somehow, it just looks nice. You know, things like that. It just seems like some of the some Three of these maps, ancillary, I think, <laughs> or like four maps. Yeah, or yeah. Some of these like ancillary titles they have, um, they're not. Man, they're maybe not like giving enough attention to this time around on the Switch, um, which sounds crazy to say, 
Um, being that like this is a Mario game, right? Like it should be like great and polished, but like I don't know. Well, I I don't think your uh, hesitation is totally unwarranted. Um, we'll see. I think it looks fun as shit, though, dude. Like it looks yeah, so much. It looks fun. fun. That, yeah. Like it, it. I don't know. There's just something about it. I've never played a Mario golf game. Um, I, I've played golf in real life, and that's I don't know. I played golf in real life too. <laughs> I kind of want to try that's what's that whatever that game mode is called in real life. That might be a good way to break some <laughs> speed clubs golf, yeah, and uh, probably injure your friends. But anyway, uh, no, this game looks fun as hell, and like that, I, I don't know if it's gonna be for me just because I don't I wouldn't have much many people to play it with, but um, I think it looks cool, and I I would have high hopes for it. And that's the thing that sucks too is like. If Nintendo's online was even good, I'm not even asking for great. If it was good, I'd be like, hey, well, I'm getting it. Me and you can play. But, like, what experience is that of, like, the desync? And we just know how bad Nintendo's online is. It sucks. And that's one thing we talked about earlier with the cloud partnership between Sony and Xbox. Nintendo, just partner with Xbox and let them handle your online infrastructure. Like, let them take a pay cut out of it, whatever. Break even on it. Just do it already. It's so bad. Or in 2021, it shouldn't be that bad. Um... The other thing, Dom, is we'll get to the next two headlines. With this game likely being one of the major titles for Nintendo this year in terms of first party, if it comes out and it's Mario Tennis Aces, like that's not going to be good for them either. So I'm hoping that the fact that they are they know it's probably going to be one of their major releases this year, that it'll hit the nail on the head and be good. We'll see. Headline number four, Splatoon 3. The third entry in the extremely popular ink shooter is set to release in 2022 and was revealed via vague nomadic opening leading up to the reveal of the city. So it started with uh, the player creating their inkling, choosing their hair, their eye color, and this little like chicken companion thing. And then it shows like an upside down uh, Eiffel Tower. And at this point I was like, are they making like an open world Splatoon game? Like what is this? Is this like a weird different title? I thought it was going to be like an RPG or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then the character gets on a train, goes to the city and it's revealed that it's just another, it, I hate to say it like that, but it's another Splatoon game where it's going to have a narrative, but it's also going to be focused on the multiplayer. And as somebody who's not played these games, the multiplayer doesn't seem like there's a lot that can be innovated on there. Like you could add some new weapons, maybe obviously new maps, but it is what it is, right? You're trying to cover the area with your colored paint and have the highest percentage by the end of the match. And the narrative was that people are going to come back to. And to me, and we'll get to headline five, but to me, this is, I don't blame Splatoon 3 for being the the one more thing announcement for the show, Dom, because they didn't have nothing that could, that was more than that. And we'll get to that with headline five. And we have to also put into perspective that Splatoon's huge in Japan. Like it's popular here in the States and in the West, but it is enormous in Japan. So it doesn't surprise me they're making a Splatoon 3. It's like questioning why are they making another Call of Duty. But it does seem kind of fast to be on the third iteration when ARMS kind of died on the vine, right? And these other new IP kind of haven't been touched on. But we're getting a Splatoon 3 that's wild. Forgot about ARMS. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Does Splatoon 3 do anything for you? And if it doesn't, what do you? how do you feel in terms of it being the one more thing in this 50-minute direct? I see... Yeah, I I have never played Splatoon. I have nothing for it. This is this does nothing for me. And so obviously that, you know, that colors my p- opinion, but I was kind of like, ah, so that's so that's the one more thing and like and I also I don't like when they it was misleading to me. Like, oh, we're in a like a, a desert with like some 
run down cars or whatever it was and like what's going on here like this is interesting what kind of world is this, this is a new ip what's going on and then oh it's fucking splatoon well, that's a double fake out right it's like a fake out of a different game and then it's a fake out of splatoon in a different genre right and, and then to just yep get on a bus and then you're in the city and it looks just like and it's splatoon which is great like you said a lot of people love that shit and like that's awesome you know i'm all for that but it just as the american watching um i was kind of like oh that's it was deflating mm-hmm. and, and i know like we can get into a longer conversation about like well your expectations were not set accordingly and like you know that's probably fair and stuff but i was a bit like let down by that was their their one more thing especially when they frame it as their one more thing to show you literally say the words you know what i mean and to make yeah. it as, like something i need to especially get excited for um i don't know it's it, and it's gonna it's that's hard to hit for everybody you know you can't make everyone happy so i you know and i, I, I do, can't be too harsh and i do think it was made worse by what we're about to get into with headline five of for a lot of people it was a double whammy of like okay this all right it's not exactly what i wanted but i'll okay it's all right and then to go into split two and three it's like uh it's like a double deflate you know what i mean each of those on their own might not be bad but then being back to back kind of took the air out of the room we'll get to headline five which is the legend of zelda so Eiji Onuma, series director, beloved developer, awesome dude, looking super fly in the direct. He appeared, and he's like, hey, I know you seeing me makes you think you're going to hear more about Breath of the Wild 2, <laughs> but let me cool your jets. Development is going perfectly fine. Everything is going great, but I want to let you know up front, you're not going to hear about more information from that game later this year, which that's a point I want to talk about specifically. And then it was followed by the reveal of The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD coming to Switch. Uh, People were worried, like, oh, God, they're showing Joy-Cons with the motion controls. Is this their solution? Not entirely. They also showed that you can play this with a controller or in handheld or on the Switch Lite. And you can not use motion controls, which is great. So a large reason why a lot of people consider this to be the worst 3D Zelda is because the motion controls were fickle and annoying. Um, But from a narrative perspective, people love it. So what the first game in this timeline, it focuses on the story of the of the uh, Master Sword. Cool thing with this too, those Joy Cons are fired on the uh, Hillian Shield and Master Sword Joy Cons. Really dope. Glad that they're not attached to a system either. So if you're a huge Zelda fan, you don't have to try to buy a brand new console. You could just try to get those Joy Cons, which still seventy dollars, a lot of money. I know, but it's better than paying three hundred dollars <laughs> if you're a big Zelda fan. And that's the um, regular price of Joy-Cons, too. So. Exactly, yeah. And I... So, for me, this announcement did absolutely nothing because I've heard Skyward Sword is the worst of the bunch. I'm already not a Zelda fan in the way you're a Zelda fan. And I was more excited for them bringing over Wind Waker and... What was the other recent one? Uh, Twilight, Twilight Princess, Prince. right? Yeah, I was excited for those because, A, I haven't played Wind Waker since GameCube. And I haven't played Twilight Princess ever. And I know people love that game. So I was stoked to get those. We didn't get those. There's rumors those are still coming this year. Uh, those are obviously the Wii U titles that are, that they're going to get ported as well. But for it being a Zelda anniversary and for it to get treated this lackluster uh, is kind of a bummer. But that's from my perspective. From you, Dom, you said you've wanted to to finish Skyward Sword and the lack of motion controls. Now, what does this announcement do for you as somebody who's a huge Legend of Zelda fan? Hmm. I... <sighs> <laughs> okay so in pre- the previous couple of weeks we've gone through some predictions and like i i'm you know predicting or like hoping for yeah like more zelda games on the switch especially the 3d ones 
um, and I have big dreams of like a whole collection or, you know, um, another uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and Wind Waker, you know, like everyone, like big, big hopes. And like, this is more realistically like, yeah, this is what I expected, you know, it's not what I wanted, but it's what I expected. You know, this was the one game they, the one Zelda game that hasn't been uh, remastered ever, right? Um, and it kind of was, was lived on the Wii or whatever. Uh, you know, a lot of people had Wiis, but I don't know how many. I don't think that many people bought this game. I don't think it sold very well initially. I think like a couple million or something. So, um, it's gonna get like it's smart for them. It's gonna set sixty bucks. Yep, but it's gonna sell. It's gonna sell a lot. I mean, Link's Awakening remake for sixty bucks sold a lot, right? Like, I'm gonna have to look up that number, but it was a a lot. Even after we all criticized the price, it still sold a lot. And so, same thing here. Um, this bums me out. I adore, I'm going to say like every single Zelda game, especially the 3D ones. Um, Skyward Sword is not only the worst Zelda game, it's just not a good game. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is how you get in trouble, but the motion controls, you know, a lot, like some games like have parts of them that are annoying or you don't like, you know, um, but in large part, like if it's not a fundamental thing you're doing all the time, then it's not a deal breaker. You know what I mean? As long yeah. as other stuff is good, you know. Um, but the motion controls in this game were so bad, and like everything is dependent upon it. You had you basically had to stand up playing the game. So you do. Don't tell me you can't or you don't, because I'm not about that. It didn't work for me anyway. Um, probably on the Switch, actually, you might not have to because there's no sensor bar. You have to like be positioned in front of. Anyway. Um, the, yeah, the motion controls, it's everything you do in the game, like, is, is affected by that. And in that, it really ruined it for me. Um, combine that with, um, like, the, a lot of actual gameplay just wasn't as good, the way the levels are designed, um, the whole structure, um, um, I, I wasn't a big fan of in general. Best story of probably any Zelda game, though. I can't deny that. Um, it's, yeah, it goes through the, how the Master Sword was created. It's super fascinating. There's some cool characters and some funny ones, and uh, in, in a good way, like, um, I can't remember the one guy's name that everyone likes to make fun of, but, uh, it starts with a G. <sighs> Not Groot, but anyway, you'd recognize a picture of him if you saw him. So, like, this is, um, and not to mention, the footage of this game looked like ass. It looked like a Wii game. Like, or, like, is this even, like, up-resed or what, what's going on? It, maybe, like, my stream just got super bad at the at the time but i'm like this looks so fuzzy like uh were you talking about jirahim or groose groose jirahim is like the bad guy yeah groose is um who i was thinking he's like the this guy looks like this guy looks like the dude from lazy town yeah and uh i don't <laughs> <laughs> his story is is funny I, I i it'd be easy to spoil if i said too much but he's a funny character um cool but hair. yeah like the like, visually it just was extremely unimpressive and given that I, my least favorite part about the original game was the motion controls, I have very little confidence um, that those will have been improved upon on Switch. And so, and even the stick controls, I'm hesitant about that too. Um, the fact that they had to, in this direct, take a significant amount of time to explain the controls, I don't know. That worries me. The way like. They were like, but but don't worry, we figured out the controls. Here's how it's gonna work in this presentation. To me, it, it all was weird. It felt weird to me. Um, it should be intuitive. Like you shouldn't have to explain it. I, I don't know. I'm being really hard on this, but I was, yeah. There, 
I was let, I don't want to say let down because again, I expected this, but I was, I wish that there was more. I wish that this was better. What do you think about him saying, Enuma saying, we'll give you more information later this year? So that kind of means that there's no chance we get Breath of the Wild 2 this year, right? Yes, correct. That, yeah. The, yeah, it's not going to happen. Well, maybe E3 or, you know, the next big direct they do. Um, because the only pipe dream would be for them to talk about t- during their E3 timed event direct to say it's coming out by December, right? That'd be the only chance, I think, realistically. And even then, the way he talked about it didn't seem like you'll hear more information later this year in an excited fashion of the games coming out. It's like, we'll give you a solid update later this year, which means it leads me to believe spring 2022 is probably a likelier candidate there. And. I don't remember, did, I'm going to look this up live while we're on the show. Uh, that was it for the news. We're going to get into what we've been playing, but I wanted to go over our Fantasy Critics League, right? Because okay. I don't remember who drafted who. So we have two leagues. We have the one for the podcast, which is me and Dom, and then we have one for fun with me, Dom, and Chris. And let's see here. So looking at this, I'm seeing, okay, so uh, Chris in our uh our fun one, Chris counterpicked Breath of the Wild 2, so I'm locked in. I'm getting zero points no matter what, so that's cool. And then in the other one, I took Breath of the Wild 2, and you counterpicked me there too. So I'm locked into both of them, uh, which is like, would you rather get zero points or negative points? I guess I'd rather get zero points, but that means I'm getting zero points, so I don't have a chance to replace it. But it is what it is. That's a risk I took. And maybe they'll they'll surprise me, but we'll see. Uh, in terms of what we've been playing, I have nothing of note. I hopped into Minecraft a little bit uh, for the first time in a while, and God, that game is different than the last time I played it. There's llamas in the game, foxes, horses, so much stuff. And I, I'm somebody who hopped into Minecraft when it originally came out on PC, and I've played it at least you know, here and there every year since its release. Obviously, in the early days, a lot more. Nowadays, a lot less. Um, but I had a blast with that. It's pretty cool. Um, they have the beta version right now for Xbox Series X, and they haven't turned on the ray tracing or anything like that, Dom, but it plays in a smooth, locked 60 FPS. It's really solid, especially when you add a texture pack in there. Really cool. Uh, and I also wanted to mention the Mortal Kombat trailer for the film that dropped. Looks really good. Definitely a mature tone, very violent. The movie's going to feature fatalities in a real way, which is cool. I don't want to spoil any of the reveals for people who are listening who haven't maybe watched the trailer yet. But they do a good job of showing off a lot of characters while still holding some surprises for the film itself. It's also cool that this is coming out day and day on HBO Max, I think on April 16th. So you don't have to go to the movie theater to watch it, which is cool. And as somebody who's like nostalgic about the cringy 90s uh, Mortal Kombat films that I acknowledge are bad movies. But, you know, as, so- as somebody who watched them as a kid, I have a connection to them. This is going to be dope for a whole new generation. And I'm excited to see a true to IP Mortal Kombat film be on the big screen. It's, it looks super cool. I suggest anybody who hasn't watched it, just check it out. Um, that's it for me. Any updates in terms of what you've been playing? Got a Neo update for this this week? Not really. I mean, I, I've just been playing a lot of Neo. Um, I found a good rhythm. Um, I'm slicing, you know, katana wielding my way through the levels and the bosses. And it's, it's getting easier as I go along. You know, I'm starting to pick up on um, a lot of the systems and taking advantage of um, some of the magic that's available for you in the game that uh, 
yeah, it's it's still it's still a lot of fun. It's kind of uh, they, <laughs> it's good. Like the 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 combat is just uh, they got it exactly right. Um, I'm already like, I, I think I've got to be like halfway through the game at this point, but I'm really looking forward to starting the the sequel. Um, especially the remastered version. Um, once I'm done with this, but it's it's just a ton of fun. A lot of um super creative uh enemy designs in this game too um little repetitive there's not as much variety as in uh, some of the from software games but for the monsters that are there they are like weird and grotesque and just wild in the ways they attack you like you know we got like giant ogres with super long tongues that swing in circles and do tons of damage and all sorts of weird elemental stuff going on it's it's like it's just a really cool game um and a lot of fun one thing we don't talk about enough is I think one of the best parts of having video games as a hobby, that's something we don't maybe consciously think about, is when you're playing a game and you transition from trying to figure out the buttons and getting used to the game where it's just free flow muscle memory and you're just playing the mm-hmm. game. And I think that's one of the coolest things. And uh, this might get pretty sad real quickly, but I want to compare it to something. It's like when you never realize the last time your parents picked you up for the last time, right? There's a time when your parents picked you up for the last time in your life as a little kid. Most of us don't remember that day because you never know it was going to be the last time your parents picked you up, but it was. And I think that's how it is with the gaming in this sense of like, you never remember the exact moment when you go from trying to figure out the controls in a game to it just being muscle memory and working. And I think it's one of the coolest feelings <laughs> as opposed to the dire sadness that I just brought up with that of your parents picking up for the last time. But I do think it's a really cool thing we never really talk about. Um, to end the show real quick before I do the closeout, Dom, this question came up on Twitter, and I wanted to hear your answer to this question, okay? I'm going to give you no information beforehand. I just want you to say the first thing that comes to mind because I don't want to influence your decision. Okay. Who is the greatest archer in history? So, you know, fictitiously who's the greatest archer i don't know legolas good answer that's the correct answer (laughs) so the question came up and it had a picture of hawkeye right had a picture of candace everdeen had a picture of green arrow and had a picture of legolas now first of all get candace everdeen out of there like she's a good archer in the hunger games cool whatever these other people are like superhuman you know what i mean like there's no chance she's comes even close they've saved entire worlds right exactly then you look at Green Arrow, Kate Bishop, Clint Barton, and Legolas. Kate Bishop and Clint Barton being the two archers from Marvel, and Green Arrow being the, the archer from DC. Canonically, and I don't want to get into an argument with DC fanboys, Hawkeye has always been a better archer than Green Arrow, right? We're going to kick Green Arrow out. So then you got Clint Barton, Kate Bishop, and Legolas. Now, Kate Bishop learns from Clint Barton, so therefore it seems like he would be better. And in my opinion, he is the better natural archer. She's like better than him at hand-to-hand combat, right? Where he's just a better pure archer. So you kick Kate Bishop out. Then you look at Legolas and Clint Barton. It's not even a question. Like if you watch or read the Lord of the Rings and you hear about the shots that Legolas does and his eyesight and his accuracy and his ability to shoot multiple arrows and do all of this stuff. Hmm. I think Clint Barton's like the closest you can get to it, but it has to be Lego Legolas. He jumps off of a horse mid-stride and shoots people. Like, I don't ever see Clint Barton doing that. Like, Clint Barton ain't going to be riding Hulk, hop off him mid-flight, and shoot people down. I think I'm going to introduce a caveat to this, though, because my first thought was, 
in addition to like what you just explained, um, like the technology available to each of them is very different, right? Like Legolas is rocking like a wooden bow with some ratchety old arrows too, right? So like that's got to be tougher. In a, so in we're a saying rinkety- to make this a fair competition, we're saying they all have the same bow in their hands, which is just okay. a bow with no tech involved. Because yeah, okay. if you throw in Hawkeye, he has like a laser pointer and like all of this stuff. He has like bomb arrows and like all of this crazy stuff. But but then on the on the flip though, I was gonna say um, in their respective worlds. Legolas is largely fighting, you know, enemies that are ha- slower, no slower, like typically melee only weapons. I mean, there's like some catapults and things like that and people could throw things. But I mean, in the Avengers, it's like, um, I mean, you got dudes with, you know, laser rifles or whatever else. Like, the, like what's coming against him, um, I think is, is harder. And that to me, that like super speed, like, <laughs> right. You got other yeah. like superheroes and people with powers and like. So that to me is a big, but let's put them in this, you know what I mean? Let's put them on a neutral playing field. Like they, they're, they're running the same course basically, right? With the same gear. You're probably right. It's probably Legolas. But I do think Clint Barton is the closest anybody would get to it. But yeah. And the interesting thing there too is like, people always argue, well, Clint Barton isn't a superhero because he's just a human that's really good at archery. Here's the thing. He may not have like crazy superpowers, but his ability is super is a superpower and if anything you can say he's a mutant like he's an x-men he may not have the x gene but like to say he's not super powered if a dude has that level of accuracy like he's not normal quote unquote right like i hate that argument people are like well he's just a human which means he's more impressive it's like oh, whatever yeah but I mean, right answers lebron like james is a human but like that dude might as well be a superhero <laughs> exactly right it's ridiculous abusing bolts a human we right. think <laughs> yeah uh we think just thought is, it was a cool yeah. question and i was hoping legolas would come up because obviously you recently watched the films uh which is yeah. awesome there's rumors that and since you didn't watch the films i doubt you ever played these games but did you ever hear about the ps2 lord of the rings games uh probably but i've been seeing a lot of memes going around with screenshots of like we need these games back there's rumors that they're actually being remastered which would be dope Here's the thing, Dom. Those games are some of the best licensed games of all time. They were okay. multiplayer. They were super fun. You could uh, control one of the main characters and level them up with RPG systems. The combat was satisfying at the time. They were really good games. They okay. they were better than they had any right being. <laughs> they were really interesting. Solid. Okay, yeah. I'm 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 curious now. If they we made it. <laughs> we need like canon Lord of the Rings games back, like. We just need him back. We're getting these, you know, Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games, which are cool, but they're not canon. And that Gollum game looks absolutely awful. We need, like, a really good AAA canon Lord of the Rings game. Or at least something in that vein. Like, the closest thing we've gotten recently are the Demon Souls and the Dark Souls, right? And obviously, they're nowhere close to the same world. We need something in that high fantasy realm, that Tolkien-esque realm. So, we'll see what happens. Anyways, that's been it for episode 219 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. Thank you guys for listening. If you can, head on over to Twitter, C-T-R-L-I-N-T. That's abbreviated for Controlled Interest. Follow us there for all the updates. You can follow me individually at Jared Weich. That's J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. You can follow Dom at Dom's Oreos. On uh, Spotify, the podcast is there. That's my preferred area to listen to podcasts. Definitely check us out there. We're on Google Play, which I think is shuttering soon or if it already shuttered i don't remember we're obviously on itunes uh if you go to youtube search controlled interest will pop right up subscribe hit the bell notifications so you never miss an upload and like the video if you enjoy it 
comment. Let me know what you think of what we talked about today. Who's the greatest archer in your opinion? Is it Legolas? Is it is it uh, Blink? This is uh, I don't know how you make that argument, but I'm here for it. Let me know. Uh, what else am I missing? I think that covers everything. Uh, oh, we also have an Instagram now, uh, which I post the updates for the podcast. If Instagram is your preferred platform over Twitter uh, for the information or even YouTube. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week when maybe there's some more gaming news. Maybe we hear about what the Silent Hill game is, Dom. We never know. Maybe we'll hear about a Lord of the Rings game. Catch you guys then. Bye.